Hello and welcome to Dealcast, the weekly M&A podcast presented to you by Merger Market and SS&C Intralinks. I'm Juliana Needham. I'm a business journalist who has been covering M&A for more than a decade. Now, there was a huge drop-off in M&A activity globally in 2023. So what was behind that and were there any bright spots? Plus, how is 2024 shaping up? To find out more, I'm joined by Lucinda Guthrie, who's the executive editor for M&A and ECM. Hi, Lucinda. Thanks for joining me today. Hi, Juliana. So the combination of high interest rates and inflation saw M&A sink to the lowest level in 10 years last year in 2023, down to $2.9 trillion. So where were the bright spots and what were the, the challenges of last year? Well, as you said, I mean, it was a really, really difficult year for M&A last year. Now, the, the year was down 23% down on 2022, but this was a massive improvement from the beginning of the year. Um, to give you an idea, when we were looking at EMEA in the first quarter, um, at the end of the first quarter, obviously, you had the, the rate hikes, but you also had macro uh, uncertainty with the, the terrible war in Ukraine. And and at that point, we were down 63% year on year, and it was the worst Q1 for 29 years. Now, <laughs> as the year progressed, uh, things normalised a little bit more. Um, we saw at the end of, of the, the year, um, optimism started to come back as, as expectations of central banks slowing interest rate hikes. Um, that, that really helped to boost some, some deal flow. Um, so we started getting some large cap mega deals come through and that boosted deal value across the regions. Um, to give you an idea, five of the top 10 deals of 2023 were announced in the, in the final quarter. Um, and the top two of those were uh, ExxonMobil's 62 billion acquisition of Pioneer Natural Resources and uh, Chevron's 60 billion deal for Hess, which obviously was, uh, you know, one of the, the, the kind of consequences of that macro volatility, these oil majors placing these huge bets on the need for hydrocarbons. Um, if, you, if you look elsewhere, macro tensions were, were playing a huge part in cooling out activity. So you, you, you obviously had the war in Europe, but also the, the tensions from, from uh, Washington and Beijing, that's all cross-border activity cooling in China. Um, and, and if you look just at, from a stats level, um, the number the, the number of deals from US and Canadian buyers into China that dropped dramatically. It was only a fifth of the deals that they'd done, you know, two years earlier. Um, when we look at the kind of global uh, activity, North America came back. That was, you know, boosted by those mega deals, and that took made fifty percent of volume. Um, that increased from forty four percent the year before, and that was largely at the expense of Europe, which dropped dramatically. Um, Japan was actually the only country in the in the top ten countries to show growth by deal value. Now, if you look at Japan, I, what I thought was really interesting is. Obviously, the country's kept interest rates really low, so it's kind of kept its counter-cyclical nature. 
And many people are saying it's kind of a perfect environment for LBOs. So for me, Japan was a real kind of shining star. Um, it was helped by a, an enormous deal, Toshiba. Um, but those conditions are really unique in this environment. And then, you know, in terms of deal structures, carve-outs and spin-offs have really been a key area of interest. Um, we saw a couple of really huge deals. Uh, one of them was Danaher's 23 billion spin-off of, of Veralto. And I, I feel that that's an area that we're going to see more of in as we go into 2024. Great, thank you. We'll come on to 2024 in a minute. But can we look at sponsor exits, which were down a huge 62% in 2023 compared to the previous year at $300 billion? What was behind that, that big drop? One of the biggest issues in my mind was this mismatch in buyer and seller valuations. Um, you had a real reset in market conditions when, when rates started rising. So and then you have vendors who were looking, they, they were, their expectations for, for exits were, were looking at multiples from the free money era, right? Um, last year, buyers wanted to bake in the higher cost of capital and a more difficult value creation environment. And we just saw deals where, you know, processes had a number of bidders and then slowly the suitors would, would fall away to one. And then suddenly that process just stalled. I think valuations in the past few months in a number of sectors have started to come down. So there's a little bit more optimism. And now you also have the pressure of private equity dry powder that needs to be deployed. And you have the other pressure of, you know, GPs needing to show their investors returns. So I feel that that combination of dry powder that needs to be deployed and exits that could help boost activity going into 2024. And can you elaborate a bit on that? With those low levels of private equity activity and huge deployment pressure, how do you see the market shifting during the rest of 2024? Well, clearly the era of multiple arbitrage where a private equity firm would buy an asset and flip it a few years later at a higher multiple, purely down to the dynamics of the market, that's gone. Uh, you know, so now we've been hearing from GPs that they're looking at the full pl platform of growth, um, both for, you know, new investments and, and their own portfolio companies. And whether that's digitalization or bringing the right people in to generate organic growth, that's being looked at across the piece. So uh, we are seeing private equity firms looking at buy and build strategies, and they're being very cautious when they look at fresh opportunities. There's this real focus on value creation right up front. Um, I think there's also going to be a lot of interest in the mid-cap space, even from buyers who typically played more in the large cap space. Um, and then, you know, with the difficulty structuring deals in 2023 due to this higher cost of capital, um, we are seeing more, more options being explored. So things like um, putting more equity into deals in the form of co-investments, and that benefits not just the GP, but also the LPs in, in terms of their relationship building. And you touched on some of the geopolitical factors affecting the world earlier. So it's election year in the US, in Europe and also here in the UK. How do you think that's going to impact the regulatory approval process in 2024? 
Do you know, it's so exciting. I feel like I need my popcorn to watch it. That's that's what I, that's where I am on this. Um, the elections in each of these regions mean we are expecting a highly politicised environment for merger review. The, the three key agencies that, that, that I'm thinking of, Margaret Vestager at the EC, Sarah Cardell at CMA, um, and Lena Khan at the USV. FTC, I feel they are going to be in legacy building mode. And these three agencies under uh, this leadership that I mentioned have been incredibly interventionist. So I feel that this is going to be a really exciting year. Now, for Margaret Vestager, she actually stepped away from DG Comp um, for a, a short period last year while she was pursuing uh, the presidency role at the European Investment Bank. Um, she withdrew from that process and now she's back at DG Comp and she really means business. Um, and, and, and there are questions over whether she is, is, is behind the scenes thinking about running for a third term at DG Comp. But really, she's got until November um, after the European elections um, to, to kind of make the final overtures in her post. Um, I feel that she's going to be wrapping up as many important cases as possible in the final stages of her tenure. And bear in mind, she also uh, um, has been heavily focused on the digital uh, landscape as, as another part of her, her mandate. Um, and, and, and interestingly now, we're seeing decisions and, and uh, moves that, that I feel could have her behind them. So, for example, the, the commission is assessing whether Microsoft's investment in OpenAI could meet its thresholds to, to, to bring that review in. And um, that's not something I would have expected to see uh, in, in that EC review. Um, and then you've also got, you know, in the US, uh, Lena Khan, um, she's been you know, uh, at the helm during a period of a number of controversial agency challenges. And I've heard that, that some feel that the agency's been buoyed by uh, the court upholding its move to block the Illumina Grail transaction. Um, and then there are also this year, there are new merger guidelines coming in for the US, which reinforce the idea of ecosystems uh, within merger review. And that's been quite a kind of... Um, you know, controversial idea, you know, as, as we both reported on over the years, you know, that idea of kind of horizontal or vertical um, overlaps now has been strengthened to this idea of, of, of you know, if you've got a, a kind of moat around your castle, a deal that strengthens the moat or reinforces the castle, <laughs> uh, you know, that could be negative to competition. And, and that was a kind of fresh approach um, that we saw from the agency. Uh, you know, under, under Lena Khan. The question for me with these merger review guidelines is if we do have a new administration in the US, uh, you know, if, if, if Trump, uh, you know, wins, for example, to what extent would these be followed? Because they are only guidelines. Um, and, and how will the courts interpret them? Um, and then, and then, you know, on, on the CMA side, in terms of the kind of political, uh, you know, uh, 
impact on the agency. And, you know, you've got Sunak's kind of focus on the kind of, you know, UK kind of internal consumer sort of sort of idea. Um, and, And that could be mirrored by the CMA, because the CMA got a lot of blowback from its um, actions regarding Microsoft Activision. Obviously, the first they blocked the transaction and then they kind of approved it as a new deal, um, which has been called into question by by some of the people that our Brussels team speak to about how the agency can uphold other decisions uh, if, if it treated Microsoft in this way. And so now people are saying, well, if the UK is more focused on kind of internal, it's it's you know looking after its market at home. Maybe the agency will also do that and avoid these large, huge mega deals that it might you know diverge from the EC on. So um, incredibly interesting. I think this is going to be a real area to watch in twenty twenty four. Great, thank you, and I can tell you're you're very excited about all of that. Um, and can we just finish off by looking at the top sectors you expect the activity in in 2024, and what the activity drivers will be? Well, when we're looking at 2024, um, you know, at the end of last year, we had some super optimistic deal makers, um, especially at our Miami forum in in December, um, and we heard about you know, hopes of activity from, you know, falling inflation, slowing rate hikes and pent up demand. And, you know, some people even said it could be like a Goldilocks environment for deal making. Now, I'm not as optimistic as that. Um, I'm very cautiously optimistic. Um, I do feel that we're hearing about some more process gearing up and some more fruitful conversations, uh, especially in the middle market. Um, in terms of sector, obviously, technology is going to be hot. It's everywhere. It stretches across all sectors. Um, more specifically, I feel that there's more to come in the natural resources pipeline. Um, you know, as commodity prices have been so high in recent years, I think those oil and gas companies have got more money to to deploy and go out and buy other uh, other companies. Um, one of the names that merger market. Um, reported on as a potential target was Upcurve Energy, um, in, in, which has assets in the Delaware Basin. And then there's also expectations of, you know, how that will extend to the oil and infrastructure services uh, more broadly. Um, elsewhere, you know, other big trends are obviously the, the, the global focus on electrification and energy transition metals. So, uh, could see some activity around the copper, nickel mining, kind of lithium mining uh, space. And in EMEA, we've got the, the highly anticipated mega merger of Austrian oil major OMV and Abu Dhabi National Oil Company's uh, chemical business. Brilliant. Good to talk to you, Lucinda. Thanks very much. That was Lucinda Guthrie, who's the executive editor for MA and ECM. Thanks for listening to this week's episode of Dealcast presented by Merger Market and SS&C Intralinks. Please rate, review and follow the podcast. You'll find us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify or look out for your Merger Market news alert. For more information, have a look at our show notes. Join us again next week. <laughs>